This is Maine Currents Independent Local News, Views, and Culture. I'm Amy Brown. My guests today are some people whose names and voices you will be familiar with. Ann Luther is the host of Democracy Forum, which airs on the third Monday, no, third Friday, excuse me, of each month at this time. Rhonda Feynman is host of Healthy Options, which airs on the first Wednesday. Natalie Sprangle, host of Coastal Conversations on the fourth Friday. <laughs> Ron Beard, host of Talk of the Towns, which airs on the second Wednesday, and Dr. John Hunt, host of Let's Talk Animals, which airs on the fourth Thursday of each month. All of those programs that I've just mentioned air at 4 p.m., and John also hosts the short feature Pet Sounds, which is on Sundays at 7.30. How's everybody doing? Good. Great. Not too, not too of, bad. Hanging in there. Yeah, lots of nods. This is, yeah, a, I'm going to have to... Take a screenshot of this because this is quite the Brady Bunch situation we've got going on here. You got a compliment or? Yeah, no, it's it's <laughs> it's great to see everybody. I'm just so happy to see everybody. So uh, what I've invited them to do is just give a report from the areas that their shows focus on, just sort of a roundtable of our reporters, public affairs producers, and what's happening in their world. And we're going to start with Rhonda Feynman because Rhonda needs to leave us to go actually record her next Healthy Options. So yeah, over to you, Rhonda. Thank you, everyone. So I hope everyone's doing well and uh, staying healthy. And if you're listening to this, um, I hope everyone in your world is healthy and, and safe. So what's happening is uh, many of us are spending too much time on the internet or too much time on screen time and people are starting to complain about headaches and all sorts of eye strain um, on that very basic level. Um, so what I want to talk about today is ways that we can actually help ourselves save our vision and save our um, a little bit of sanity maybe because <laughs> I, how many of you are zoomed out? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, you can put them down now. That's good. Um, so last time I was speaking with uh, Matt, uh, it's hard to imagine it was only a few weeks ago and we were just in the, uh, the beginning of, of this um, staying at home and all of that. We did a little bit of, a, of an exercise of grounding and resiliency. And I'd like to remind us as we go into some of the techniques I would like to do to talk about uh, eye health, to realize that if the more that we are grounded and the more that we are able to stay in our center, use the kind of jargon, the easier it is for us to calm our nervous systems and to stay healthy. So in this is a crazy time, as we all know, and um, one of the things I like to do, by the way, when I am on screen time is sometimes I'll just cut the video out. And that's why I love radio and why we're doing radio. We get to use our ears if we're fortunate enough to have our hearing, of course. So let's start right now with all of those kinds of ideas percolating, but right now to, to ground, to notice if your feet, if you're sitting, if your feet are planted on the ground, if they're, if you're still in bed, which why not? It's four in the afternoon, you could be. <laughs> Just um, have your heels feel grounded, your hips be touched by the mattress or mat, your shoulders nice and grounded. Just take a moment to take a breath. Breathing in and breathing. <laughs> and part of that 
if you're walking, because people are walking and jogging, you can do this when you're walking as well. Don't close your eyes, but have that sense of one foot touching heel, metatarsal toes, heel, metatarsal toes. So you can be grounded even if you're on the move as much as we are these days. So noticing the breath coming in and the breath coming out gently and easily, breathing in, gently and easily, breathing out. Breathing in and out. So just notice that level of sensation. And I know all of my colleagues here are very quiet right now. So we're all good. What I want to do is invoke uh, my, one of my uh, colleagues who you can hear her work on Healthy Options, Rosemary Gadden Gordon. And she is an eye specialist and does visual therapy. And I'm hoping to get her on soon so that we can uh, have her even go into greater detail about some of the things we're going to do now. So again, breathing in and breathing out, noticing. And here's a moment when we get to put it all together because all of the ideas of washing our hands and staying healthy and keeping, uh, not touching our face still apply even though we are now going to touch our eyes. Okay, but with that said, if you're at home, you can run and wash your hands. Those of us here, I have washed my hands before I came on. We're going to take our hands and put it together, put them together in front of us and, and rub them. We've all done this before. Maybe like, wow, this is, looks delicious. Wow, we have a great idea coming. This is going to be perfect. Well, this is going to be true. So we're creating a little bit of warmth, a little bit of friction. In Chinese medicine, we might call this uh, creating some energy, the qi. But we are creating healing warmth. And now I'm going to ask you gently with your clean hands to place them over your eyes. So this is called palming. So the palm is going over your eyes. You're covering your, your face, the bridge of your nose. So no light can come in. You can do this with your eyes closed in a Tai Chi or a, a Qigong practice. Sometimes we do it with our eyes open, but I'm gonna ask us to keep our eyes closed right now because this way we can actually go inside and follow that breath that we've been practicing and really feel calm with that. And notice the sensation of the warmth on your retinas and your eye, eyeballs, the whole socket of uh, your, your uh, bones and muscles, all of that really calming down. And I know from a personal experience with all of this, the screen time I've done that I have felt tension in this area, so perhaps you have too. So breathing in and out, always feeling grounded as we spend some time breathing now into the eyes, feeling that relaxation, breathing in and out. Yeah. Now, of course, we could do this for five, 10, 15 minutes. The other thing I want to mention, and if you are doing this and you can, if you're at a table or 
some um, area where you can put a pillow or some support under your elbows, under that area of your arms so that there's no tension holding your hands up to your eyes. That's a really good thing to do too. So you can actually sink in with, with the uh, support of a cushion, a bolster, uh, anything that gives you a good height to keep you nice and, and, and steady as you do this. So breathing in and out, noticing the relaxation, hopefully, in, your, in the eyes. And of course, that's something you can practice anytime. Now, if you're driving, I can't imagine where you'd be going, but if you are, um, obviously you're not doing this with us, I hope. Okay. Um, so gradually, now, in order to get the light back in, you might want to move your hands, your palms down, and open your fingers a little bit. And notice, just gently, gently allow a little bit of light to come in so we're not shocking our system by all of a sudden going from dark and relaxation to light. So you're gently, gently allowing the light to come back in and ah, take a few breaths with that. Hmm. So you can do that periodically throughout the day, even if you're not on the screen, it's very, very restful. The other tip I'd like to give you is every 15 minutes or so, please look away from your screen. And our eyes really are trained to look at the horizon. That is how we've developed as human beings. So looking at the horizon, this is very nice. Okay, we're all getting lost in the horizon. It, it's another way of allowing the eyes to do the long vision, the long vision. Because when we're looking at a screen, a, a phone, or even our computers, uh, even if it's a larger screen, we have a very short, we're shortening um, how our eyes see. If we look at the long vision, we can um, help the muscles of the eyes uh, stretch and exercise in a relaxed way. So there are apps you can get, they're free, you can uh, find them that it will interrupt you every 15 minutes or so and watch how you'll find yourself wanting to turn them off. It's very interesting, but if you can make the uh, transition yourself, put a timer, do something to say, oh, eye hygiene, and take a moment. That will be very, very, very helpful. Thank you. And the last that. thing, very last thing, is when you are looking at your iPhone, please put it at eye level. And you notice your neck is going down. That is shortening your neck and also straining your eyes. So lots of things that we can do you can listen to the Healthy Options with Rosemary Gadden Gordon because she goes into all of this in great detail. And I know I'm taking up a lot of time. Sorry about that. But um, wanting to just remember the grounding, remember the palming, remember the long vision, and keeping your cell phone at eye height. And um, that will create a little bit more computer hygiene, screen hygiene. So. Great. And we'll be chanting on Wednesday on a Healthy Options. So That's now right. we'll, we'll have the voice come in as well. So Wednesday, thank you. May 6th at 4 o'clock. Thank you, Rhonda Feynman. Thanks. I know you're going to be leaving us now, so have a good day. Thank you. All right. And up next, we have Ann Luther. She hosts Democracy Forum, and she's also on the board of the League of Women Voters of Maine, which she produces Democracy Forum in conjunction with them and a team of folks from that organization that airs on the third Friday of each month at this time. Over to you, Ann Luther. 
Thanks, Amy. It, what a moment, huh? Um, we're focusing an awful lot on our show and in our work on the effects of COVID on the elections for 2020. It's um, an election season unlike any our country has faced, probably since the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918, which was an election year also. But a lot of adaptations are going to be required to have both a high participation and a safe election in 2020, both in the what is now the July primary and in the November election. So we're spending a lot of time, as I said, in our work and on our show talking about elections and COVID. Um, we did a sh our show in April. It was uh, it's available on the archive. The Democracy Forum featured Secretary of State Matt Dunlap and Allison Ba talking about the plans that the Secretary of State was making at that time for safe and fair elections. We're going to do our May show on May 15th on ranked choice voting. The July primary will feature several highly contested ranked choice contests. Um, we'll be doing the June 19th show on the national popular vote. And on July 17th, the election, the July 14th election will be just behind us. So we'll have a very um, sort of flash reaction show on July 17th in terms of how the election actually went. Because July 14th will be a ranked choice voting election, we may not have the results yet by the time our show um, records and airs on July 17th, but we'll know a lot more about how it was conducted in an age of COVID and what measures the Secretary of State and our town officials were able to take in, in getting ready for it. It's very challenging right now. Our town officials are trying to comply with CDC recommendations for safe polling places, but they're having to make a lot of adaptations. Some of them are having to consider moving the polling place to a larger location to allow for adequate social distancing. Many of them are worried about procurement of um, personal protective equipment and plexiglass screens. So there may be physical changes in the, in the location at the polling place, but they're also having trouble recruiting enough election workers to staff the polling places as they have been in the past. You know, many of you know that many of the election workers of the past have been people who are of an age to be in a high risk category and don't feel safe working at the polls um, under current circumstances. So we're asking people to consider, I mean, it's not for everybody, but if you would feel safe um, working at the polls and feel like with proper protection, you could do it comfortably. Uh, there, there is a, a need for election workers for the July 14th election, and you might be in touch with your local town clerk or even a neighboring clerk. You don't have to be a registered voter in the town um, to work on uh, the election in that town um, and different towns may have different needs in terms of staffing their election this coming uh, July. We're also looking for the Secretary of State and the Governor to provide some leadership on a couple of items. Both the Governor and the Secretary have publicly stated their commitment to preserving in-person voting, which we think is important even in this moment. Many people can't vote by mail. Many don't have a fixed address. Many have um, disabilities of one kind or another that makes voting by mail independently um, very difficult. So we want to preserve the in-person option for those who need it. But to keep that safe, we need almost everybody else to vote 
by mail, vote absentee. Maine is in a good spot because we have had no excuse absentee voting for a long time. We have good protocols in place. Um, our, our town clerks know how to deal with that. We are calling on the governor and the secretary of state to mail absentee ballot materials to everybody who's a registered voter. Um, you know, typically in an election, 70% uh, of people would vote in person, 30% would vote by mail. We're hoping to flip that ratio for July and have 70% cast an absentee ballot and 30% show up in person. But to do that, we have to offer a lot of encouragement to people to, to vote by mail. And we think mailing that, um, that material out to every registered voter would be a big inducement. We're also looking for the governor and the secretary of state to offer some relief to people who are trying to register or update their registration. Um, right now, some town offices are closed completely. Some are doing their regular functions only by mail. I think some are probably offering curbside service, but it's a real hodgepodge at this point. And if you're trying to update your registration or create a new registration, your ability to do that could vary quite widely from one town to the next. We're hoping that the Secretary of State can figure out a way to offer people some way of conducting their voter registration in an email correspondence with their with their town clerk. So we've got a petition that's running um, right now at the league's website. If you're interested, you can go to lwvme.org and sign the petition. Um, I think between ourselves, the league, and uh, various other organizations, we probably have over 2,000 signatures on that petition now, and we're hoping to deliver it to the governor today. So we're looking for these public commitments from the Secretary of State and the governor towards um, safe elections and uh, commitments to absentee voting in the, in the July 14th election. Then, you know, November, who knows where we're going to be in November. And this is the election of our generation, the highest stakes election of our entire generation. And I'm pretty old, so that covers a lot of ground. Um, and, you know, we don't know what kind of a COVID environment we're going to be at that point. We're also looking to our federal congressional delegation to provide additional funding to the states to secure the November election and make sure that no matter where we are with COVID, we can have a robust political contest um, in, July, in, in November. It's very difficult right now for candidates. You know, many of them would be, be doing doors right now. Doing doors is off the table. Um, and so that puts a lot more responsibility on us as voters to go out and seek that information from the candidates. Some of them are doing this. They're doing live streaming. You know, I've seen one hosting a coffee clatch. You know, some are doing other Facebook Live events. Um, if you're hearing the show, I would just encourage you to find out who the candidates are that are running and make the outreach to them, find out where they stand on the positions. They're not going to be able to come to you the way they would have in another election year, and it's just so important. So that's my little pitch for today. Amy, is that about what you were looking for? Yeah, no, that's great. I, I do have a question, though. If people want to get an absentee ballot, is there a, there's something about the period of time that they have to do that, and that's been changed? Do you yeah, it's um, normally you can request an absentee ballot up to three months before the election. Um, so three months before the July election would have been the middle of April. But 
because people thought it was going to be in June, they'd already been requesting their absentee ballots beginning 90 days out from June, which was March. So basically, bottom line is if you requested your absentee ballot in March, that still counts. Um, we are now in the request period for July, so you can request your absentee ballot right now. Um, the ballots themselves are not likely to be mailed out until mid-June-ish, so don't fret if your ballot does not come right away, hang on. Um, the ballots must be available by 30 days before the election, so that would be mid-June. They may come a little bit earlier, but no guarantee. And but who you do can people contact to get, the, get one? There's an online form. Um, either the Secretary of State's website or the League's website, lwvme.org, has that link uh, prominently featured. You can request that by mail and you'll get an, an acknowledgement that um, your request has been received. Great. Thank you. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Maine Currents on WERU. I'm Amy Brown. Today I have several of our public affairs program hosts joining me to talk about what's going on in their worlds. That was Ann Luther of the League of Women Voters, who hosts the Democracy Forum, which airs on the third Friday of each month. Up next, we have Natalie Springle, host of Coastal Conversations, which airs on the fourth Friday of each month. Natalie had been on a sabbatical, and she's rejoining us now. So welcome back, Natalie. It's great to see you. Thanks, Amy. It's great to be here. Um, <clears throat> there's so much that I could cover, so many useful topics related to the coast and to our work at Maine Sea Grant and our partners um, during the pandemic. And on our April show, we focused on the impact of COVID on Maine's seafood, in seafood industry um, and how listeners can access safe local seafood. But today, um, after our beautiful weekend and everyone's itch to find solace in the outdoors and especially on the water, I wanted to share some information about how to boat safely during the pandemic. Um, so Governor Mills' Stay Healthy at Home mandate lists outdoor exercise activities as an essential personal activity as long as it's carried out in compliance with social gathering restrictions and social distancing guidelines. But how does that impact small self-propelled boats like using sea kayaks, lake kayaks, stand-up paddle boards, and canoes and other self-propelled craft? Um, so with the arrival of spring, we're already seeing more and more boats on roof racks of cars headed to local launch sites at lakes and ponds and rivers and streams and along the ocean. And if you're looking to hit the water, can you do so safely in the time of the pandemic? And the answer is not necessarily the same for everyone, and that has to do with your skill level, your gear, and your paddling partners. So the Maine Association of Sea Kayak Guides and Instructors recommends that you ask yourself five basic questions before you head out. And we'll walk through these in details, and I'll share some insights that I've gleaned from lots of conversations with multiple Maine guides. And we'll look at special boating safety considerations during the pandemic on top of regular boating safety protocols that you should use anytime, um, but especially in the spring before the waters gear up or warm up. So here's the list of questions from Maskey. So Maskey is a mouthful of an acronym for the Maine Association of Sea Kayak Guides and Instructors, shortened to Maskey. So the first question, um, do you have proper clothing and gear? So these are self-assessment questions to decide if you can safely head out to go boating during the pandemic. So do you have proper clothing and gear? 
Um, so the air may be starting to warm up, but remember that no matter where you go, the water is still really cold. So do you have the proper clothing for falling into the water and possibly being stuck there for a while? The main guides specifically say, with springtime ocean temperatures barely above 40 in some places, the minimum required is a dry suit with fleece and wool layers underneath, neoprene booties, a warm hat, and gloves or pogies, which are like mittens that attach to your paddle. And not a lot of recreational boaters have this gear, so maybe consider lakes and ponds instead of the ocean. But even lakes and ponds are still cold. No matter where you intend to go, a safe boating adage that bears repeating over and over is dress for the water temperature, not the air temperature. And of course, you should always wear a life jacket because a life jacket stowed snug in your boat does nothing when you really need it. Okay, second question. Should I paddle with a partner? For everyone, but mostly advanced boaters, um, safety, standard safety protocol is to not paddle solo. But paddling with others raises all kinds of social distancing questions. If your companions are from your household, you're likely okay, but if your favorite paddling buddy is not your family member, how will you keep safe? Can you get your boat on and off your car without getting too close? Is all your gear your own, or do you normally borrow gear that you will need to disinfect before you head out? And are you okay with skipping the social raft up? That's when multiple kayaks or canoes create a platform on the water by sliding in close and holding onto each other's boats for extra stability. It's a great trick to help someone feel stable while they add a layer or they get something to eat out of their bag, but it's simply not possible with social distancing. So the recommendation here is mentally walk through every step of your regular paddling excursions and ask yourself if you can easily do each of these activities at least six feet away from your companions. Which leads us to question three. Do you have solid self-rescue skills? The importance of this one can't be overemphasized. If you need someone to rescue you, you can't social distance. So if you can't perform an Eskimo roll or successfully rewrite your boat, re-enter it and empty the water out quickly, you should carefully consider where and if you might paddle right now. Master main guide, Karen Francoeur of Castine Kayak, who we've had on Coastal Conversations before, adds that the only kayak that can be easily re-entered from the water is one with sealed compartments in the front and in the back that keep the water out. So if your kayak or canoe isn't equipped with flotation, it will be almost impossible to get back into it from the water. All that said, even if you have a properly outfitted boat, and even if you have perfected the skills for reliable self-rescue in flat water calm conditions, remember that it's only just May 5th. The water is still really cold and dexterity loss in rap is rapid in cold temperatures. So consider waiting to hit the ocean for a few more weeks or maybe a couple more months even. And for now, maybe your best bet is to paddle lakes and ponds and keep closer to shore than you might otherwise. Okay, on to question four. What communication devices do you bring and do you know how to use them? Consider that cell reception on the outer islands and the backwoods of Maine is inconsistent. VHF marine radio calls are only as good as those who receive them and only work if you carry this technology with you to begin with. And perhaps equally as important is that communication starts even before the trip gets going. Pandemic or not, always, always leave a float plan. Tell someone where you're going, who is going with you, 
when you'll be back, and when they should trigger a rescue if you have not returned. Which brings us back to the rescue question again, just from another angle. So Maskey's fifth question to help you identify if you, if you can safely paddle during the pandemic is, are you confident in your ability to choose appropriate conditions and not deliberately get into a rescue scenario? We all know the weather changes quickly in Maine and weather changes affect the wind. On land, a wind shift might go unnoticed, but on the water, even a small change in wind speed or direction could signal the difference between a relaxing flat water outing and a white knuckle race to get back to safety. Did you listen to the appropriate weather forecast for your region? If you had to see, the marine forecast is a lot more useful than the land-based one. Did you know, do you know the tide level and how it will impact the currents along your route? Are you able to watch for signs of changing weather patterns while you're out? The reality is that changes in the weather are often an important factor in unexpected rescue situations. Unfortunately, rescue situations that require outside help could take rescuers and medical professionals away from other needs. It also puts rescuers, including Coast Guard personnel, game wardens, local search and rescue teams, and others who either want to help or are required to do so by law because of their jobs, it puts these folks at risk, potentially. Rescuing people in water situations means physically helping them get out of the water and moved to safety. You can't not touch them. Face masks are critical, but they can only go so far in emergency situations where wind, waves, and water are involved. The simple fact is, it's impossible to guarantee social dis distancing when performing rescues. Let that reality guide your decisions about if, when, and where to go boating during the pandemic. We just walked through the five questions that the Maine Association of Sea Kayak Guides and Instructors recommends you ask yourself before you launch your boat with added insight from conversations with multiple main guides. But ultimately, only you can decide for yourself if you should hit the waters this spring, and hopefully these self-assessment questions can help you think through your decisions. You can access the questions and other resources at maskey.org slash covid-19-resources. And we'll also link these from the Maine Sea Grant Coastal Conversations webpage. Thanks, Amy. So Natalie, this is Ron, and uh, I just wanted to note that not only are you using Maskey's wonderful um, experience, but your own um, as a sea kayak guide. And I remember um, you making a journey from Cape Cod to Nova Scotia in your early days, and that must have been um, a lot of experience to, to uh, take in. Yeah, it sure was, Ron. Um, there's nothing like being out there to really learn, learn the hard way to have the great experiences. <laughs> great. All right. So again, you're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. Up next, we have Ron Beard. He's the host of Talk of the Towns, which airs on the second Wednesday of every month. Over to you, Ron. Well, hell, thanks, Amy. Um, well, like others, I've been hunkered down at home. I gathered with my class at College of Atlantic for the last time on March 12th. The semester was over and they were being sent home for the rest of the school year as the college opted to teach online. Since then, I've counted on the Mount Desert Islander, Facebook, and of course, WERU to stay connected to my greater community. I've been struck by how much I'm drawn to those posts that remind us all that we're in this together. 
and so I've kind of collected some some gems, <laughs> um, if you will, from from uh, recent days. Hope Rowan um, from Mount Desert Island sets the theme. She writes, "I'm quite enamored of this definition of community um, that she cites below." Um, I find this place that we call home special because of the natural beauty, yes, but even more so because of the people I share it with, people that care. Thank you for to each and every one of you that's given of yourselves to support our community, not just now in a time of great need, but always. And then she goes on to quote Suzanne Goldsmith's definition of community. Communities are not built of friends or of groups with similar styles or tastes or even of people who like and understand each other. They are, a building, they are a building of people who feel they are part of something bigger than themselves, a shared goal or enterprise, like righting a wrong or building a road or raising children or living honorably. To build a community requires only the ability to see value in others, to look at them and to see a potential partner in one's enterprise. So even in the COVID days, um, that sense of community and how we build community um, seems important to me. Facebook is also particularly good at providing a little topical levity when we need it most. Last week, singer-songwriter Eliza Gilkison, and I just want to give a shout out for her most recent album, 20. Um, it's really good, especially in these times. She posted a video of the public service song number two by Buddy and Julie Miller. And some of the lyrics go, don't, don't, don't drink, excuse me, I'm going to start again. Don't, don't, don't drink bleach. Try saying that several times fast. Don't, don't, don't drink bleach. It will kill you and then you'll be dead. So just a timely reminder. Then Emily Elizabeth Hinckley Ellis posted a story from the Bangor Daily News by uh, Ernie Clark dated April 30th. And he showed how Dover Foxcroft area farmers are trying to shorten the length of the food supply chain in the face of COVID-19. Um, here's some highlights from that article. Wendy Russell, co-owner of Wittershins Farm in Dover Foxcroft said, quote, people need to be relying more on their local farmers, especially when there is insecurity in the food chain. Most people that eat, uh, most food that people eat comes from at least 1,500 miles away from where they live. And that's pretty scary when you think of not being able to transport it for whatever reasons. Wittershins supplies grass-fed beef, lamb, pork, and goat meat, um, from, as well as raw milk, goat cheese, and yogurt from its shop at the Bear Hill Road Farm. The Bangor Daily News story goes on to say that Russell and her fellow farmer Dan Kaplan at Hearthstone Farm in Charleston are convinced local farmers around the country can shorten the supply chain in their regions and their farms already have experienced significant increases in sales since the pandemic began. Our sales have gone up many, many times in the last four weeks, Kaplan said. The way we look at it is we've added 500 new customers in the last few weeks and now our job is to show them we all have amazing products and amazing customer service so they'll stay with us. Heartstone Farm is focused on its direct online sales of frozen beef and chicken throughout the Northeast from its distribution center at the former countryside meat market in Dover Foxcroft. Kaplan raises grass-fed beef on his 500-acre farm and teams with Tidemel Organic Farm of Edmonds to offer chickens. Meanwhile, our friend Hawk Henrys um, has posted on Bar Harbor Barter and Swap. It's a Facebook page, and he says, I have nothing to sell, and I'm not looking to buy anything. 
I check this page daily for things I don't yet need. Consistently, I see one thing that we all benefit from, a strong sense of community, neighbors helping each other, folks disagreeing with each other, yet they would be there to assist if and when needed. People sharing what they have, no matter how little they might have to offer. Yeah, I keep checking for stuff, says Hawk Henry's, stuff that I don't need, but I always leave this page with something meaningful, a feeling of belonging to a great community. He closes by saying thanks to all. Pandemic is causing everyone to figure out how to connect in new ways. After an extremely successful in-person event last May, the Abbey Museum in Bar Harbor is staging their Indian market online from 2 to 8 p.m. on Saturday, May 16th. And they write, event goers will have the chance to meet some of the 2020 Abbey Museum Indian Market artists from all over North America, learning more about them, their processes, and their body of work. The market will allow artists to connect with the community, to educate, and also to sell their wares. In addition to spotlighting the artists, this digital market will include performances ranging from dancers to singers and educational programs. So that's uh, Saturday, May 16th. More information at the Abbey Museum website. I noted in another Facebook post that my colleagues at University of Maine Cooperative Extension last week released the first in a series of 20-minute videos called Victory Garden for Me, or Maine. This series is geared towards Mainers growing their first vegetable garden. After each weekly video, your county office will open online to answer questions. They'll cover topics like planning your garden, preparing your soil, get planting, weed control, how to water your garden, what's wrong with my plant, and what do I do with my harvest. Uh, John Hunt's beyond later. He's talking about what's wrong with my pet. Um, Cooperative Extension will help you with your plant. Local State Representative Genevieve McDonald of Stonington is providing lots of direct constituent service these days, even from her garden. She writes on Facebook, the best part of using my time online to help people with their unemployment claims is I don't have time to notice the cesspool the rest of social media has become. Today, she says, I planted peas, Swiss chard, radishes, and some hardy flowers. I played with my kids. I sat on the tailgate of the truck and drank a beer in the warm spring sun. I grilled ribs. And occasionally, I looked at my phone and answered a handful of questions. I did not spend the day inside arguing with people on the internet, and I hope you did, didn't either. That was State Representative Genevieve McDonald. Becky Pritchard is a reporter for the Mount Desert Islander, and she filed a story about how the Bar Harbor Food Pantry is responding to challenges due to the pandemic, figuring how to get food to people in need safely. Before the pandemic, patrons were allowed to shop at the pantry and make their own choices. Now, with a general idea of what's available, they can phone in their orders, and food pantry director Jenny Jones and her staff try to customize each food box with pickups between 9 and 2, Tuesday through Thursday, in the basement of the YWCA in Bar Harbor. Jones encourages donations of food and money to enable the pantry to continue to provide sustenance. It's open to any resident of Hancock County. Their website is listed as Bar Harbor Food Pantry, and you can probably, those of you listening to this broadcast, can find a local food pantry that's serving you as well. And let's give a shout out to the Islander, the Ellsworth American, the Bangor Daily News, and all of our local papers. Like WERU, they're making sure folks know what's what, trusted, up-to-date, reliable information. 
if we thought a free press was important before the pandemic, boy, do we need it now. I hope you'll support your local paper and WERU because they are supporting us as we keep our communities connected. Finally, a post from my friend Roxana Robinson, who I've had the pleasure of interviewing here for Talk of the Towns about her recent novels. Yesterday she wrote, at the market, when I came back to my car with my cart, I found socially a socially distant station wagon parked nearby with two dogs inside, big and little. I brought my cart around to the back and the dogs started barking. I looked up to make sure the windows were open a bit, let's see if the dogs had enough air, they did, but my look at them got them barking more. A big hound type in front, a little yapper in the back. As I got unpacked, I opened the side door nearest them and the hound got into a frenzy, big galloping yelps calling the alarm. I looked more carefully at the big dog, which brought on more frenzy. I wasn't near their car. I couldn't imagine why they were so loud and urgent until I got into my own car and drove away and took off my mask and my hat. Big hat, big mask and sunglasses, concealed identity and suspicious activity. I couldn't have looked more like a criminal if I'd carried a sign in dog saying, I'm a thief. <laughs> well, that's my roundup. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks, Ron. It's it's really nice to hear some uh, hear some good stories. You know, to be reminded of that first couple of days when we were all all in this together and being supportive to each other. As you see, some of that starting to fall apart, unfortunately. Did anybody else want to say anything? I just, this is Anne. I just wanted to pick up on what Ron said about newspapers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Maine is really lucky to have as good quality locally owned. I mean, all of our major dailies are owned by people who live within the state and same with most of our weeklies. Um, These are a precious resource to us and um, their advertising dollars are really drying up right now. It's a very tough time for news. Um, I know it's a tough time for a lot of people, but I just second what Ron said. If you can afford to subscribe to your paper and maybe even another paper, you know, get the newspaper and read it. It's so important to keep it going right now. I pointed that out, and and I pointed that out to nonprofit leaders. I said, if you're a nonprofit leader and your organization doesn't subscribe to your local newspaper, you're missing something because they're supporting you um, with all of the announcements and the up-to-date things. Um, You need to support it. And probably the same is true for WERU because so many of our local nonprofits rely on our station to get Truly. the word out. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Ron, what's your next show going to be about? You're uh, coming up on Wednesday the 5th, 13th. Yes, I have a wonderful interview with um, my friend um, and a writer, Leonie Charlton, from the west coast of Scotland. And she's just written um, a new book called Marum. Marum is a type of, of grass that grows on the islands off of Scotland's coast. And she took a journey um, up the spine of the Hebrides Mountains, uh, Hebrides Islands, rather, um, by pony with a friend. And it's a, it's a thrilling story. Um, she um, draws on her experience as a writer and, and wonderful uh, background. She, she, um, she watches everything and she sees everything. She's very present as a writer. So I'm really looking forward to sharing that interview with our listeners. Great. That's coming up on the uh, Wednesday, the 13th. And Natalie, I forgot to ask you, you've got a show coming up also on Friday, the 22nd. 
Yeah, I do. I'm looking forward to it. Um, oftentimes in the spring um, on Coastal Conversations, we try to cover a story related to the annual uh, run of fish up our rivers and streams. So sea run fish, fish that spend a portion of their life cycle at sea, a portion of their life cycle inland, and just in general, um, fish that, that sort of make a good chunk of their life in our streams and brooks. So we'll be talking especially about um, salmon and brook trout. And we'll be, we'll be talking with folks from Trout Unlimited and with folks from Downey Salmon Federation and some people who like to get out there and fish. So um, it should be a great one. Great. Again, that's on Friday the 22nd at 4. And I think you mentioned your upcoming shows, but just again real quickly, what's your next show going to be about? The next show, um, I moved the date someplace. It's uh, May 15th is on Ranked Choice Voting. It should be an interesting show because we have Republican state legislator Mark Roberts from the state of Utah will be joining the conversation here in Maine. Um, Ranked choice voting is not widely embraced by the Republican Party, and they are running a people's veto on it right now. In Utah, Republicans love ranked choice voting, so and they used it for their, their own state convention. So we're really looking forward to the conversation with Representative Mark Roberts, and then we'll be joined also by uh, John Brodigam, who is the league's legal counsel and policy advisor and an expert uh, here in Maine on ranked choice voting should be a good one. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Well, <clears throat> we'll just, uh, yeah, that'll be an yeah. interesting program to see what happens as this moves forward. Uh, John Hunt, Dr. John Hunt is a retired veterinarian who hosts Let's Talk Animals on the fourth Thursday of every month at four o'clock. That's a full length hour-long program like the others we've been talking about. He also hosts a short feature called Pet Sounds that airs on Sundays at 7.30. Over to you, John. Thank you, Amy. I want to say how honored and humbled I am to be with uh, the fellow guests. These um, folks are all doing, you are all doing such yeah. great work. I really appreciate all that you're doing. It's good to see the faces uh, to voices. Uh, I know we kind of go, we, we pass each other in the night and never see each other. But we're all still here doing the same thing, and it's really incredible. And this is this is Zoom thing is cool. <laughs> and unfortunately, <laughs> listeners can't see it right now. But uh, Ron has turned his camera to show his dog oh, who's sleeping quietly in the chair. That's cute. Just wanted to reinforce Ron's last uh, story, just to remind everyone how smart dogs are, and never forget that. <clears throat> also, uh, Ron's mentioning some Facebook entries and I found a Facebook entry. Someone was trying to recruit a COVID-19 mascot and the mascot was going to be, wants to be a raccoon because they wear a mask and wash their hands. <laughs> Getting a little more serious, uh, there is a warning I wanted to give out. Um, there's an aquarium cleaner you can get at the local pet shop called Arlen and it contains chloroquine phosphate. It's a sister drug to hydroxychloroquine, which is the anti-malarial medicine recently rejected as a dependable safe treatment for COVID-19. Arlen is dangerous. There's a, unfortunately, there's a couple in their 60s in Arizona that drank it, thinking that they'd prevent COVID-19. The husband passed away. The wife was hospitalized. So do not ingest Arlen. The word of caution. Let's get to our pets. Uh, pets, the bottom line, you have to 
get anything from my whole spiel here, pets are unlikely to get COVID-19 or pass it to people. Not big concerns at this point, but we're still learning about this novel coronavirus. This coronavirus is a member of a whole family of viruses infecting all sorts of animals like dogs, cats, pigs, for a long, long, long time. But this is a new variation that we've never seen, so we don't know much about it. Historically, viruses have been a nemesis to humans for thousands of years. One of the oldest uh, disease that was recorded is the rabies virus. And this is a virus where animals can give it to people. On the flip side, a little closer to home, is that there is a the reverse. The human influenza virus can be given to your pet ferret. So it goes both ways. So it's not unreasonable to find out if this particular novel coronavirus has any of those kind of features. But with 24-7 news and social media, we are getting a minute-by-minute minute update on this virus. What is it? How does it behave? How does it survive? How does it infect? How does it make a person sick? Who, does, who gets infected? And unfortunately, with, accurate, with the accurate facts, there are also inaccuracies, falsehoods, and premature facts that are unverified. News about corona is happening so fast that facts and falsehoods may blend together, making things confusing. How, how pets fit into this pandemic is no less confusing. The report of two dogs in Belgium and two cats in New York City testing positive for SARS-CoV-19 to a COVID-19 positive home raised alarms. Everyone all over the world began worrying about their pets. These were isolated cases. The test used not only detected whole viruses, but any harmless virus fragments in the sample. The dogs never got sick. The cats did have signs of upper respiratory disease, but the cats, cats in general are susceptible to a number of other viruses and bacteria. And uh, they also are, cats are also susceptible to asthma and heart disease, which can mimic the conditions of COVID-19. So the information released by these isolated cases, uh, it didn't tell me if those other diseases were ruled out. So these four cases have yet to be verified in my mind. However, IDEX, which is uh, in near Portland area um, in Maine, International Pet Diagnostic Lab tested 5,000 dogs, cats, and horses over 17 countries, all showing signs of upper respiratory disease. None of them came back positive. So I think if corona was going to be a problem in our pets, we would have seen it by now. With that said, IDEX has just made available to veterinarians a SARS-CoV-19 test specifically for pets. So the availability of a test will give us a better sample of the population and any new developments that may occur, then we can address them. But until more information comes in, it appears the vast majority of our pets will not be affected by this novel coronavirus. But stay tuned, as always. You've got to stay up to date on real facts. So let's talk about pets as vectors. Bottom line, there is no evidence that pets are true vectors for this virus. 
Now, this virus seems to be a little sticky. Although the virus will readily come off a smooth surface like a doorknob or a metal handrail, it seems to stick to rougher surfaces like rough wood or pet fur. A person with coronavirus infection can theoretically cough into his hand, then immediately put his, pet his dog and poss possibly leave a viable virus on the dog. But it won't come off very readily if another person comes along and pets the dog because the virus is kind of sticky. Also, pets groom themselves, sit in the sun, roll in the grass, get brushed, bathe, and swim. All these activities, regular dog activities that Ron is shaking his head at saying yes, um, all these activities can remove or kill the virus on the fur. So have fun with your pets. And I imagine they have loved this extra attention they've all been getting. Probably too much. Much to your consternation. I do recommend practicing caution with vets in a COVID-19 positive household. The infected person should practice social distancing with their pets in the house. Other members of the house should be responsible for all aspects of care infection during the, during the person's infection. People living alone need to, help, need to get help from relatives and friends from outside the house. For the rest of us, I recommend if you pet a dog or cat that is not in your household, I recommend washing your hands as soon as possible and definitely before you touch your face. Just take precautions. As I mentioned before, it's not likely, but why take the chance? Also, when you walk your dog outside, please keep them on a leash. This will help prevent unintentional breakdown of social distancing when two on-leash dogs need to be separated. Also, you may wanna measure your leash to make sure you'll get a six foot distance if you meet up with another dog on the leash. So the two dogs, can meet each other, but yet, if you're at the end of, each one's at the end of their leash, you'll have your social distancing. So my final word is I say at the end of all my shows is enjoy your pet, and if healthy, don't forget to give them a hug. Thanks, John. And so the whole thing with not touching or caring for your pets if you are sick, is that just out of an abundance of caution? Because it sounds like they can't get it. Um, yeah. So if you're in a pinch or, you know, if you're somebody who's just, I can just see somebody just feeling miserable and they just want their dog there with them. I mean, they're taking a chance, but they're taking a small chance is what you're saying, right? Right. And if you do have a household and there is a COVID-19 positive and they do pet, uh, you can brush the dog, maybe wipe it down if you're, if you're really careful. Um, just exercising caution because right now we don't see a problem, but we don't know. It, it could develop a problem. Right. So why not be cautious? Uh, but you're right. A comfort when you're sick, animals are wonderful, wonderful beings to be with. And so you're, it's a good point, Amy. I'm, it, it's good to stay away, but if you have to want to pet them, just take precautions uh, from other people in the household. I think you'll be needing to do a lot of shows on separation anxiety here in a few months, <laughs> both for the pets and for the humans. <laughs> I will do a pet sounds on that for you. Good, good. <laughs> Anybody else have any questions for, for John before we wrap up? We've got just about two minutes left. Anne, go ahead. Well, just to clarify, so if I'm in a quarantine household, let's say I'm coming up for the summer, my two weeks, I've got a quarantine with my dog. Can I get a neighbor to take my dog for the walk and that's okay, even 
as long as I don't go. And then if I'm in a COVID positive household, can I get my friend to take my dog for a walk? Those are all good questions. Well, quarantine, as you know, is a prevention sort of thing. You're, you're, you're to be separated. Uh, so I don't think that is a problem. Um, with a COVID positive, I would take precautions. I would have the person come with their own leash, for instance, and meet at the door. And uh, the person that's walking doesn't have to pet them. If they do, and they can pet them if they want, so it's okay. Just make sure that person washes their hands right after, or, or, or sanitize their hands right afterwards, just to be on the safe side. But they're neighborhood dogs that you see all the time. We have one here that we kind of semi-adopted. I have no problem petting them. I just wash my hands afterwards. Yeah, good to, good to know. Yeah, definitely a relief. Because otherwise that dog would need a tranquilizer. I mean, they need their exercise every single day, right? Absolutely, yeah. yes. So pretty much do what you usually do with your dog. Just exercise caution, if, especially if you're COVID positive. If you're, COVID, if you're not, just be careful. That's all. But uh, when you're home, like Ron's dog there in the chair, go give him a hug. Kiss him, do whatever you want. <laughs> well, this timing worked out perfectly. We're actually just out of time now. I don't, we, we couldn't have planned this better. We just kind of decided to go and it, the timing worked out well. Before we do wrap up though, just real quickly, next Pet Sounds is coming up on Thursday the 28th. Do you know what you're doing yet? Well, the Pet Sounds are every Sunday morning. I mean, Let's Talk Animals, I'm sorry. Let's Talk Animals, no, I, I'm just figuring out the Zoom thing. So I can't guarantee a Pet Sounds this May. I'm, I'm going to work on it now that you mm -hmm. help me. So it would be probably either on uh, bumblebees and insects, uh, a naturalist I had a couple of years ago, or on the 4-H. All right. Uh, two people I have lined up. So I don't, can't guarantee it. All right. Well, we'll watch for that. We'll get it out, information out there ahead of time if it's going to happen. Thank you. Thank you all so much for spending your morning doing this. It really is great. Even though it's through Zoom, it's great to see everybody's faces today. Yeah. Thanks all for being here. Take care, everybody. Yeah, you've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. My guests today were, in order that you heard from them, Rhonda Feynman, host of Healthy Options, Ann Luther, host of Democracy Forum, Natalie Sprinkle, host of Coastal Conversations, Ron Beard, host of Talk of the Towns, and Dr. John Hunt, host of Less Talk Animals and Pet Sounds. And if you miss the times and days that those are on, you can go to weru.org and click on our schedule and see that. Join me in two weeks for the election 2020 edition of Maine Currents. And be sure to tune in for all of our other excellent public affairs programs hosted by folks that you just heard from here and, and several others. We may be sounding a little bit different now that we're on Zoom and producing in different ways, but we are all still here on your community radio station, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and streaming online at WERU.org, and on the new WERU app, new-ish. I guess we're not still completely new, but if you don't have it, put it on your phone. It's great. And today is Giving Tuesday, so support your favorite local nonprofit. Thanks, all. Thank you.